Good morning. Well, I want to welcome everybody back. Welcome back to Goshen College. Um, all the new students, all the transfers, welcome to Goshen College. Hope everybody had a good summer. Um, everybody transitioned well and classes are going good. So, oh, my name is Jeremy Pope. I am a 2011 graduate and I am now an admissions counselor for the school. <laughs> it's kind of funny, I still feel like a student. Um, but, um, well, this morning I'm here to introduce our president, James E. Brenneman. Uh, president Brenneman, he's a, graduated from, he's a graduate from Goshen College. He received his Master's of Divinity degree from Fuller uh, Theological Seminary. And then he received his Master's and PhD from Claremont Graduate University. He was a founding leader, pa leading pastor of Pasadena Mennonite Church and spent 26 years there. And he also served on the faculty of the Episcopal Theological School at Claremont in the Old, Testam Old Testament scholarship. He has authored pub published lessons such as on Jordan's Stormy, I'm sorry, on Jordan's Stormy Banks, lessons from the book of Deuteronomy, and Canons in Conflict, Negotiating Texts and True and False Prophecy. And he might have also won a kickoff, which I never got to do, but <laughs> he's a man of many talents. <laughs> but it's my pleasure to introduce to you Goshen College President Jim Brenneman. Thank you, thank you. Wow, as I always say, you are the most beautiful people in the world. It's, it's wonderful to see you all back, and uh, as Jeremy said, we all want to welcome all of you, whether you're coming back again after, after last year, or the year before, or the year before, and or uh, you're new for the first time at Goshen College, welcome. Didn't you just love the opening? There was a din going on, but there was a wonderful opening uh, CD being played, the new gathering CD from the Women's World Choir, World Music Choir here at Goshen College, and Yamaya. So give them a hand. If, if you're singing in the women's... Please get that CD. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful one to have um, as well. Well, what can I say? Welcome to the happiest place on earth. Uh, well, okay. Uh, welcome to the second happiest place on earth. Now, speaking of happiness, I've been spending quite a bit of the summer trying to figure out when to use the texting abbreviation LOL. I thought I would get some advice from Professor Paul Keim, expert in many languages, ancient and recent. I thought Paul would surely be a great resource for all things texting. Well, here's Paul, and actually I think this ended up being one of the first times ever that he texted. Notice what he wrote to me. He wrote there on the side, Za Kim Z Edu NLT text, very well, thanks, the Rusks, the end. Help, I can't get out of here. Uh, needless to say, he needs to work a bit on his texting. <laughs> Nevertheless, I thought I would ask Paul a little bit, what was the historic 
uh, context of LOL. I thought I had remembered that he had just given a recent paper at the SASH conference, that stands for Society Ancient Sumerian Hieroglyphics, uh, making a claim, I think, that LOLs came from an ancient Sumerian tax code violation called lamp, uh, late on lamp oil. But <laughs> technically speaking, that would have been LOLO, so that didn't work. Then I got to thinking, uh, I wonder what LOL means internationally, say in Italy. How about the next time my family and I are at Lucchese's just north of Goshen, a great Italian restaurant, and we're, Quinn and I are having a conversation across the table like usual, him texting to me and me texting back to him, <laughs> and say I text him something like, I'm hungry enough to eat blood pudding, and he texts back to me, LOL. Well, in this context, does, th does that simply mean, let's order linguine, or what does it mean? When it comes right down to it, it seems to me that the meaning of LOL has lost, in literary terms, its semantic depth. Nobody really laughs out loud anymore when they actually read the text, LOL. In fact, I've been noticing lately, it just has turned into sort of a filler that you use, something you say when you run out of other things to say. For example, <laughs> I mean, it's lost all of its meaning. Whatever the context or however, whatever the meaning of LOL, I do hope that this year at Goshen College will be L-O-L-O-L, -O -L, that there will be a lot of laughing out loud, as Annie Lamont, one of my uh, great literary writers that I like to read, a novelist and a, a writer on spirituality, she calls laughter carbonated holiness. Carbonated holiness, I like that. So please everyone, even though you hope, we hope you'll be serious students, I do hope that you will enjoy a lot of carbonated holiness this year and let there be a whole lot of laughter going around in, in between our studies and beyond. And let's live up to our uh, name as being the second happiest pace on the earth. So will you do that for me, laugh out loud a lot this year. Now, to show our, the depth of our happiness, I do want us to enthusiastically welcome those who are returning this year, say you've been here last year, your students who were here last year, or the year before, the year before, the year before, whenever in the past, if your students that were, was here, were here last year, will you please stand and will everyone give you a hand? We want to recognize who you are. Thank you. Now how about all of our dear professors, our administrators, and all the staff working at Goshen College, will you please stand? Thank you. And last but not least, we want to see all of those who are, are new to Goshen College for the first time, will you please stand? Welcome to all of you. Uh, I want to uh, uh, give a special Goshen College welcome this morning. Actually, it's a welcome back to someone who holds the record for the longest serving employee in Goshen College history. He embodies a servant's heart. His, his is a labor of love. 
He gets up before dawn and stays late when needed. He has mown our lawns and plowed our walks in the winter, day in and day out, for 50 years. Did you hear that? 50 years. So I want you all to give it up for Kennard Martin. Kennard. Thank you so much for all you've done for Boys and Kennard, on behalf of all of us at Goshen College, I'd like to give you this plaque. It says, 50 years of service, 1961 to 2011. Kennard Martin, leader in service. We dedicate the 2011-2012 school year as the year of Kennard Martin, leader in service. Thank you so much for all you done. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Here, take this. this
what a wonderful way to begin thinking together about what it means to be servant leaders. Each year at Goshen College, we take on one of our five core values to study at length in more depth, and this year we have chosen to look at the value of servant leaders and or servant leadership. <clears throat> this particular image not only illustrates who we might consider the prototypical servant leaders, it also illustrates the struggle of defining the meaning of servant leaders itself. What we have here, now don't groan them, please. What we have here is a paradox. <laughs> I, okay. You know, you do what you, <laughs> a paradox. As you know, a paradox is a statement or concept that is seemingly contradictory, inconsistent, or opposed to common sense or logic, yet is true. Some paradoxes, for example, are of an oxymoronic nature. For example, plastic glasses, or Senate Intelligence Committee, <laughs> or to be completely fair and across the continuum, anarchy rules. <laughs> Some paradoxes have to do with reality not quite fitting our categories. Take, for example, the platypus. Recent genome studies, Francis Collins, who headed that up, said that the uh, genetic mapping of a platypus contains remnants of reptilian, mammalian, and bird genetic coding. Interesting. A paradox. There's a literary paradox called verbal irony, where the speaker or writer communicates the opposite of what he or she means. For example, when we say something is as clear as mud. And then there is the, the one I like, is called the buttered cat paradox. This is based upon the tongue-in-cheek old adages when you combine the two. You know, the one that says that a cat always lands on its feet. And then the other one that says that if you ever butter toast, toasted butter always lands uh, face down in the dirt. Well, you put those two adages together and you have a paradox. Together you get a perpetual motion hovercraft, if you notice. Did that one not come up? Could you back up one? All right, he backed it up and it wasn't there. There was a picture of a cat perpetually in motion with a, with a toast of butter on its back. <laughs> Get it? You know, mm, mm. <laughs> And it just keeps going. All right. That's called the buttered cat paradox. Well, when you put, you juxtapose servant and leadership, and you put them together, this creates a paradox as well, an odd coupling. Servants suggest vulnerability. One who serves or performs duties for another person, a master or employer, let's say. Whereas leadership implies and suggests king of the beasts or a person who takes charge of a situation or in a workplace. A leader leads, directs, and has commanding authority or influence over others. A servant follows. The paradox then, servant and leadership, when you put them together, it was first introduced in the modern lexicon by a man named Robert Greenleaf in 1970, who had spent about 40 years working in a Fortune 500 company, AT&T, and in many different leadership capacities, and uh, 
He believed at the time, looking into the information age where service and technology industries would rule, that the old styles of command and performance leadership, in his mind, were outdated, outmoded, and ultimately unproductive. So by intertwining the term servant and leadership, Greenleaf, Greenleaf believed that together the words meant more when they were together than each did separately and alone. Of course, Greenleaf acknowledged that his formulation was simply a borrowing of a much older paradoxical leadership style found in the life and teaching of Jesus. Jesus brought together the paradoxical nature of God. Creator, creature. Imminent, almighty. Vulnerable, transcendent. Divine, human. Jesus was king, but king of an upside-down kingdom, where the last was to be first and the first last. It was Jesus who said to his disciples when they were fighting among themselves who would be the top dog among them, Jesus reminded them. He said, here I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is the quintessential servant leader, God becoming convict, author of life, dying on the cross, a paradox. Greenleaf defined leadership, servant leadership. He said it begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve first, then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. Emphasizing either half of the paradox, leader first, let's say, or servant first, Greenlee felt diminishes the infinite in-between varieties, blends, shadings, and strong, uh, shadings of strong and effective leadership. Context determines which side of the paradox to emphasize when. Max Dupree, he's the chairman and CEO of Miller, Herman Miller, Inc., an innovative Fortune 500 furniture company, has written quite a few books on leadership, uh, leadership jazz, I commend them to you, uh, The Art of Leadership, and a number of others. He boils down servant leadership to one of responsibility and gratitude. He has written, the first responsibility of the leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, a leader is to be a servant. So both Greenleaf and Dupree speak about the in-betweenness of the paradox of servant leadership. With those definitions in mind, I'm going to offer several suggestions for us to consider this morning about what kind of Christ-centered servant leadership that I hope will become a core part of your lives as you study, learn, and later graduate from Goshen College. First of all, a servant leader embraces vulnerability as a strength. One of the great images of such vulnerable strength is that of water. Water is paradoxically, paradoxically soft and strong. It yields, it caresses, it soothes, it heals, it bathes, it quenches, and sustains. Yet water can wear a solid, rigid, immovable rock into sand, and patiently chisel a loamy riverbank into the Grand Canyon. As Job says of God's strength, you're like the water 
that washes away stones. Such a servant leader listens with willful patience to others whose opinions differ, whose perspectives may not be the same as hers, trusting in the power of the spirit or the imagination and creativity of new ideas to emerge by being openly vulnerable. Steve Jobs, you all know Steve Jobs, I hope, in a commencement address at Stanford, said that Apple would not have happened the way it did had he not almost accidentally taken a calligraphy class that by all outward signs had nothing to do with his interest in computer technology. Almost one of those manna gifts from heaven because he was attentive to it and also a great case for liberal arts education. He said calligraphy of all things lies at the heart of the Apple phenomenon. He credits his success to an openness to see, listen, observe, imagine new things in new ways, new ideas, and new perspectives gained many times by others. Another sure sign of a servant leader who embraces vulnerability as strength is laughter. And not just any old laugh, but mostly laughter at his, himself or herself, or laughing sometimes at the absurdities of immovable opinions or intractable positions. Laughter at oneself or one's predicament is a ready sign of a Christ-like servant leader. Nelson Mandela turned his own history into a humorous aside when he answered a reporter's question with a quip, in my country, we go to prison first, then we become president. <laughs> Mother Teresa said of her labor of love, I know that, that a loving God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish God didn't love me quite so much. <laughs> Patient observation, listening and laughing, all signs of servant leaders of a vulnerable, of a vulnerable kind. Secondly, a servant leader shapes culture. In Dupre's terms, defines reality, influences culture, all for the common good. A servant leader promotes a vision that is expansive and contagious and inviting. When Neil Armstrong stepped from the lunar module in, onto the moon for the first time, he wasn't thinking about himself or simply his own national identity or parochial perspective either. He simply said, one small step for a man, one giant leap for humankind. Servant leaders do not stand on the sidelines or harp from a distance. They work to implement their vision in real time and bear the responsibility of its burden. They do not simply deconstruct hegemonies or critique domination systems. They take up the harder challenges like moonwalking, and by the way, I mean both kinds of moonwalking. I've tried the one. <laughs> I would like to try the other one someday. They take up hard challenges like moonwalking, constructing new paradigms and practices, always with the view for the common good. Being countercultural is, is settling for second best. A servant leader must have the courage to become truly intercultural to lead culture or cultures to the better place, to the higher plane, the nobler calling. 
When Jesus said we are to love our enemies, he was defining reality. And it wasn't so much to be countercultural as it was to pull culture forward to that place where former enemies might become friends. One thinks of the amazing servant leaders who helped, if you think about it today, uh, Germany and Japan, their closest allies in the United States, were former enemies. It must have taken some creative thinking by all in that case. Such an outcome requires profound intercultural leadership at all levels of society now more than ever when we are so polarized in our conversations and debates. As a Goshen College student, as future graduates, you now have been given a calling to become servant leaders, intercultural leaders in service. Cross disciplines, interdisciplinary, think of jobs, uh, uh, think of Steve Jobs, and be open to hearing what the Spirit is speaking to you. Whatever your major or profession or career path that you take, I'm calling on each one of you to become culture for service leaders, leaders in service. And I believe we're on our way here at Goshen College. By my estimate, each year, Goshen College students, staff, faculty, and administrators provide at least 30,000 hours of service in various ways nearby and all around the world. If you, add, if you begin adding up our inquiry programs, our Leaf Relief, our SST, where six weeks of your lives you're spent in service, celebrate service days, internships, you will see that it's an amazing place of service. And I believe we can do even better than that and will going forward. As I introduced to our staff recently, all of our faculty and staff and administrators are invited to serve two days on pay in our community uh, throughout the year as they're able. And I believe we'll just keep adding those service hours up and become one of the most service-oriented colleges or universities on the planet is my goal. Every one of you has been given a high charge, a calling that may take you to the highest leader positions, leadership positions in the world or to the hovels of a refugee camp or many places in between. Servant leaders all and in every one of those instances. Martin Luther King Jr. said of his calling, which is true of your calling, my calling, all of our callings as servant leaders. He writes, after you have discovered what you are called for, you should set out about to do it with all the power that you have in your system. Do it as if God Almighty ordained you at this particular moment in history to do it. So go for it. Lead as if God ordained you as servant leaders and do it with all the power that God has given to you. And I can say that because if you combine servant and leadership, you won't go wrong in doing that. This is your particular moment in history, perhaps. And finally, a servant leader abounds in gratitude. I recently received a note from Fallon Wills, who is now Fallon Nice. I mean, some of you knew her as Fallon Will if you were here in 2005 when she graduated. She's a technology architect for the Fortune 150 company Whirlpool. She wrote, I'm thankful for colleges like Goshen that are nurturing graduates to look beyond themselves as they step out into the world. It's those graduates who are changing lives everywhere you look, and sometimes in unexpected and unconventional ways. 
She recently blogged on her blog page, IT Millennial. She wrote how the core values of, how the core value of servant leadership has become so important to her in the corporate context of her life. She always thought that servant leadership was mostly for what she said NGO or Peace Corps types who went into service in poverty-stricken areas of the U.S. and developing countries. It wasn't really meant for, and these are her words, an evil business major like me. And then she goes on, was I wrong? So very, very wrong. For Fallon, servant leadership works in the corporate context like hers, where her role is to remove barriers from those she leads so that they may become freer, wiser, more likely themselves to become servants. She writes, I finally get that. Servant leadership applies to me as much as anyone else who graduated from Goshen College. She ended again, those simple words, thank you. End of story. Fallon's thanks seals her fortune and destiny as a true servant leader, one we can all be very proud of. I commend her to you to emulate, who, who like Christ before her, embraces a vulnerable strength, boldly shaping the culture around her, and doing so with a heart full of gratitude. Thank you, Fallon. As we close today, I want to remind us of one last quality of all great Christ-centered servant leaders. They take time to pray. I'm not going to elaborate on this. It, Bob Yoder, our campus minister, might do that for us. He reminded us at our all-employee retreat how Jesus did a whole lot of praying. I would like to leave you with two short prayers that I have been praying lately, and I got these also from Annie Lamont. These are her favorite two prayers, she says, and they become mine. In praying both side by side, a paradox is created in their praying. Praying both together makes them ideal for all would-be servant leaders. And I, I simply share those two prayers with you this morning. Simply put, they are, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And Lord, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening. Now go out and lead the world. Before you go and lead the world, we're going to do some singing. As you now know, Goshen College is a singing community. And one way to have even more time in that singing community is to join choir. <laughs> Especially if you are male, I would like to talk to you and have you join us. If you play sports and you are male, I would like to talk to you. We are going on tour this year, it will be fabulous. We're singing great songs. I also am very persistent and very annoying, so just say yes. Come over to the Music Center. Come to the Music Center and sign up for a time, and I will get off your back.
The alma mater is a song that has been sung by countless generations of GC students. It's a little quirky, but we all know and love it, or at least we will know and love it after today. Uh, for those of you who do not know the alma mater, and the music to the alma mater, uh, it should be towards the end of the pews. Be sure you distribute those, especially to people who need it. We're all going to stand in one second, but listen carefully. The first time through, only people who actually know it should sing, and sing with gusto. So those of you who don't know it will listen carefully and then copy. Okay, so sing through the first verse and the chorus, those of you who know it, and then we will all sing all three verses and then go and form our tunnels. Let's stand, please.
Maggie Scott. Today is about tradition. So we will engage in one last tradition as we leave this particular space. We have two people assigned to the doors out here, one person assigned to the doors out here and one to the doors out here. So we would ask that I will direct you in being dismissed from the space. First, faculty and staff, administrators, will, you can choose whichever door you'd like to go out of, and we will start the tunnel. After faculty and staff and administrators, I'll dismiss the seniors, then the juniors, then the sophomores, and finally, our first year students. You will gather then in the Schrock Plaza for a treat and you can get yourself one of these pins at the same time. So faculty and staff, go ahead. We'll form the traditional applause tunnel, starting with you guys here. Students, just hang out for a minute. Have a great year.